And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, March 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Great stuff to talk about on this episode. The breakout series continues. We go to the central divisions in the AL and the NL, and we've got some spring news because things are happening. Players are breaking. Roles are being described by teams. Everything's happening. And, of course, we're here with you on YouTube again today. So if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. At some point in the distant future, maybe it's the not-so-distant future. I'm going to say distant future, not to overpromise. There might be some random fun things on the YouTube channel. You know, you could see Eno making a sandwich, for example. That's great content. (laughs) We couldn't do that when the show was only a podcast, but we could do something like that now that we have YouTube. So, you know, check us out there if you're uh, one of the OGs. That's so complicated. How would I do that during the middle of a podcast? Oh, we're going to do that separately. That's, uh, that's okay. yeah, we're not doing that mid-show. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's a little it's a little ways off, but, you know, we're looking for things like that. Or Edo takes his dogs for a walk. I think people are really interested in what's <laughs> happening during your dog walks. So I do have, a, I have another dog walk thought. So today it was raining and uh, one of the dogs went out into like the mud to poop. And so I had to, I'm traipsing out. And I'm getting, I have like these, this just caked on mud all over my, my, my feet. And then he doesn't finish the job and he's running around with like a little bit of poo oh, hanging out no. the back of his butt. And so I'm trying to get the poo he dropped and I'm trying to get the kids away from this like flying poop that's coming out of the back of his. And I'm trying to get him not to eat his own because he keeps like trying to get back there and get at it. And I'm just like, that's all happening. The rain starts coming heavier during this process. Uh, and so I'm telling the kids to put their, their hoods on and like all the stuff is happening. And one of the kids has, uh, has something that has a zipper on it and he starts swinging it around and he clocks me in the hand in the middle of all this. And I don't normally cuss that much in front of them, but recently it's been getting worse. And I let out the largest F bomb just so loud. And I realized that normally I'm in the clubhouse you know, a couple days a week at least, and I get my cussing out, I think. I don't know. Like, I cuss a lot more with baseball players and, like, in bars, and neither of those things have been available to me. So, like, I, I need to go somewhere and cuss a bunch, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but that's... Uh, that's uh, that's what happened today on the dog walk. <laughs> I am so grateful that my dog walks are not nearly as eventful <laughs> as yours. And maybe that's the byproduct of having one dog. Maybe it's the byproduct of having a, a medium-sized dog, Hazel, a golden doodle, Also not of course. a puppy anymore. Yeah, she's starting to figure out life as a, a teenage dog. I think she's kind of in that phase as a, a four-year-old. Good news on the, the um, interaction with other dogs front 
The dogs now have been trained. All I have to say is what's in my pocket. And I used to say something about a treat, and then the other dog would go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So now the code word is, what do I have in my pocket? And they look at me instead of the other dog. And so we're a lot better. If the dog, the other dog is good, my dogs are good. If the other dog is bad, uh, well, we'll it's see. progress. And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we'll have some dog training videos on the channel at some point <laughs> since Eno's becoming an expert uh, in that. Uh, let's get to some news, though. Carlos Carrasco dealing with elbow soreness he won't throw for several days. I find this disappointing more from just a basic human standpoint where in the same way as that I'm really rooting for Trey Mancini to come back healthy and and be very productive this year I wanted to see Carlos Carrasco go have success with the Mets I know uh, last year and even in the last couple of seasons obviously dealing with a ton of health issues of his own I just see him as one of those guys who he could still be really good if health doesn't betray him but I wasn't really expecting him to be healthy and as you were saying before we started recording, your injury metric flagged him as pretty high risk too. Yeah, what do I have him at? I have him at a 95th percentile for injury. And I don't think that's necessarily taking a lot of information from the uh, missed time due to uh, leukemia. Yeah. Uh, but it might have been. Uh, you know, they're definitely within the system arm injuries are weighted heavier than days lost but days lost is still a factor and i'm not a doctor so i can't i can't make that link to say that it, this issue right now has anything to do with his leukemia but i will say that he's always been a guy who's been a little bit injured and so that's why i pushed him down relative to adp um and to uh projections in my ranks cuz i just i wasn't uh i wasn't confident projecting him for a full slate of innings now he could still get to you know 160 or something maybe um, if he if he if this is just a bump in the road. But I think this does reflect the general uh, risk that he uh, represents. And if you were to look at his ADP for March only in the NFBC, he was sitting around pick 62 overall in a 15 teamer, kind of the end of round four, beginning of round five. Probably an SP two on most builds, maybe a late SP one in others. The latest he was going was pick 90. I have to think that until we get more information, that's probably where the ADP is headed two rounds later than where he was, if not a little more of a discount until he's able to resume throwing and to start picking up activity again. Even with like a two or three round discount, that's probably not enough for me to take on that risk based on what we know right now. Uh, We'll balance that out with some good news. It looks like Frankie Montas is going to be ready to go in the rotation for the first turn through whether he's the opening day starter or not, I think remains to be seen, but his March ADP is around pick 162. So this is a guy you're getting maybe outside the first 10 rounds of a 15 team draft, at least right now with positive health news. Maybe he creeps up a little bit. We've talked a lot about him uh, and, and the splitter and how important that pitch is, but how quickly the command of that can come and go. Uh, where do you stand on Montas this year, especially when you look at that, reasonably discounted price compared to where he was going this time last year. Yeah, I think the full season, he has a, a stuff number for me of 102 uh, and uh, above average command too. Um, I think the stuff number doesn't fully represent his upside because his slider, uh, as I've mentioned before, gained uh, like I think about two inches of drop over the course of the season. So if you look at a full season stuff number, you'll say, oh, you know, his slider didn't have much drop. 
um, a, a, an inch or two of drop on a slider can change your stuff number a little bit. So um, I would say that health news like this would bump him in my rankings. Um, I had him at 53, uh, which was slightly ahead of ADP at the time, uh, but behind projections, which the bat has him at around 41. Uh, so I think I would split the difference a little bit and uh, push him up into around 45, maybe ahead of Joe Musgrove and behind Sandy Alcantara. I feel like Sandy Alcantara and Frankie Montas are uh, not quite peas in the pod, but they're comparable uh, pitchers. They pitch in nice home parks. Um, they haven't fully done it for a full season like you might want to, um, and uh, but they've shown changes in their pitch mix. Um, and have great, great velocity. Uh, so I, I feel pretty confident that that's a good place to put him, somewhere in the low 40s. Got to throw in a would you rather here. We've got Corey Kluber. Would you rather? Oh, my God. Frankie Montas, like a million times over. Did you know Corey Kluber was sitting 90-91 in his first start? And I know it was just one inning, but in one inning, if he was really doing well, he should have been able to blow a little harder than that. Fair enough. I'm kind of looking at Kluber's price just saying that's my reason to stay away and velocity. Yeah, it's way higher than it should be. It's Mm -hmm. way higher than it should be. Innings risk. uh, Has he ever pitched in a park like that as a home park, you know, for his career? No. It's true. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland is hitter-friendly, but not nearly as hitter-friendly as Yankee Stadium. So the home run issues could be as bad as they've ever been for Corey Kluber. How about Frankie Montas versus Kevin Gaussman? No, well, now you're now you're, at least you're talking about uh, a pitcher who um, has a nice home park. Gaussman's there at 42, um, and I was talking about putting Montas 45. So I think that's a fair uh, decision making process. Um, Gaussman, for some reason, shows as having a 75th percentile injury risk, um, and I'm not even sure why that is. Maybe that's reaching far back. Um, he seems like he's been relatively healthy recently. I don't even remember injuries for him, at least major injuries for him earlier in his career. It must have been just an accumulation of days missed at some point. Um, uh, the, you know what? They're both splitter guys. So I'm going to take the guy in the NL who gets to strike out pitchers and has that nice home park. But they're right, they're right next to each other. Yeah, I think that's fair. We did have a couple seasons in 14 and 15 where Gaussman was in the, the 112, 113 range with innings, but I don't know if that was because he was going up and down those years or if it was because he was hurt. Let's see if we got some minor league stats there. And we do. 14, he had 11 AAA starts that year. Uh, 13 had a bunch of innings down there. 15 had a couple starts down there, probably rehab at that point. So yeah, a little bit of, of injury history there, especially if you go back more than than five years. Uh, one other name to throw in this group. Pablo Lopez goes earlier than all of these guys, but only by a little. Is he clearly ahead of them for you, or do they actually belong in the same cluster? Pablo Lopez is top 30 for me. All right. I like him. It's a, it's a varied pitch mix, above average command. Uh, changed some things that I liked uh, in the past. NL pitcher, home park, boom. I like that. Very succinct. Let's get to Jordan Alvarez, who, of course, <laughs> is making his way back from a knee injury. Could play in spring games next week. Not one bad knee. Two yeah. bad knees. Is it really that bad if he's playing with two weeks to go before opening day, though? Like That seems like enough clearance for me to feel pretty good about him, where he's what, going. What is especially. the news? Sorry, I totally cut you off. I'm such a d- 
I'm no, he's just he. What, what, what was the actual news? He could play in spring games next week, so he's he's close, really close. Okay. That's enough time, right? Two weeks for a hitter yeah. like that, especially a DH. Supposedly enough time to get your timing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, I don't know. I got one league uh, where I've got like six keepers, and I've got I've got uh, Alvarez and Otani on the same team, and I'm just I'm looking at myself in the mirror like, how did you do this? <laughs> how did you back yourself into a corner? When did you get them? Like Alvarez was he like a minor league keeper, and Otani you got in an auction or a draft? Like how did you end up getting? How far apart did you acquire them? I was rebuilding last year, and so I was just acquiring talent. So I I just figured in the off season I could trade, but it, it is a problem when you do something like that, and then and then people look at your team and they're like, oh well, he'll just drop one of them if I don't trade with him. <laughs> yeah, you kind of just and have to hope. I'll that show you... them. I'll keep them both. <laughs> There's only one util slot. It's not like, not like I can play them both. So it's a problem for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about the best way to attack it. I think it's to reach out to somebody who you know likes Otani specifically, and just try and get a deal done, and say, you know what, it's easier to trade him right now than just trade. Unfortunately, I'd rather also keep. Otani more so. <laughs> yeah, but he's the easier one to trade for sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so weird problem, but definitely one that I have. That's why I wish more leagues had two UT spots, not just for me in that one specific league, but I think uh, not blocking people, you know, because they have one UT already is kind of ridiculous. I think. It, and, it, and if we have DHs in both leagues, it'll become more of a problem, I guess. Right. If that happens, that is one adjustment we have to make to league rules. Uh, Kirby Yates is scheduled for his spring debut Thursday against the Tigers, already kind of sitting in the 125 to 150 range in terms of his March ADP. What would you need to see from him in spring outings to feel good about drafting him in that range? Is there anything he could show you velo-wise, stuff-wise, that would, would make you say, yeah, you know what, he's the guy, he looks good, I'm comfortable with him at that price? Velo. Velo. And I'm going to be honest, I'm worried. I took Jordan, Jordano, Jordan, Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, Jordano, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Romano. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Jordan Romano. I took Jordan Romano in the great fantasy baseball invitational just recently because a Kirby Yates said something at some point about feeling 90%. Uh yeah, ninety ninety? Ninety's okay. Uh, I got yeah, yeah, it's better than seventy. <laughs> uh it's not a hundred. <laughs> not a hundred, no. Uh, uh and so uh, if he comes out there and uh it'll be funny too, because if somebody says, Oh, he hit ninety four, that I don't know if that would be actually good news. I I would want to see a hit ninety five because he was sitting ninety three and a half, ninety four and a half the last couple of years. So that's much better velocity. And I don't think he's going to be like, you think like 92 mile an hour guy with a split finger. I just don't think it's uh, going to be a closer material. And they've got uh, Romano and um, I've heard that the plan for Merriweather is a hundred innings this year. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess that doesn't sound like Merriweather is going to be the closer of the future, but if they ever did decide to make him uh, just a reliever, he would be closer very soon, I think. Um, and then Dolis is not bad either. So they've got options. And if Yates could just work as uh, work better in the middle innings if he's sitting 92. 
All right, so we'll say 95, though, is kind of the magic number. If we see a 95 from Yates, that's a pretty encouraging sign because I think they can settle on one closer pretty easily in Toronto. I think they brought him in in part hoping that he could be mm-hmm. that sort of guy. We've seen him pitch as one of the elite closers when everything's working for him. So if the velocity's back, that might be a reason to bump him up just slightly in the ranks. Interesting that they had 100 innings as a target for Julian Merriweather because we have a target of 100 innings for Alex Reyes as well. I think teams are just going to throw that number Segway. out there for the guys that are stuck in between. Like <laughs> anybody, anybody who's not quite locked into a rotation spot who they don't necessarily want to commit to as a short reliever, 100 innings, that's the number. And it's like, is it is it 100 or is it like actually closer to 80 or is it closer to 120 i did some research in 85 it was something that jeff samarza said to me he said 85 if you're a reliever 85 is the max you you want to do that once or twice tops and then you're just toast um but maybe our like sense of how to use pitchers has evolved a little bit like maybe 85 samarza's talking about like true reliever usage where they're just like they're getting you hot and like using you in in one inning stints. I think the 100 that we're talking about with Reyes and Merriweather is more like they're the seventh inning guy. This No, they're the fourth inning guy and the fifth inning guy that comes out for two innings, you know? And then they actually have a blow where they just rest for two days, three days. It's like a mini starter, right? Where you keep them kind of stretched out. I was just saying this on the radio in St. Louis today. It's like, if you want to have a chance of Reyes starting in the second half, um, then you're going to have to do something that uh, allows him to be stretched out then. And so you can't just be like, okay, you're going to be one one inning reliever, one inning reliever, and five innings. You know, so mm-hmm. I think I think both these guys, Merriweather and, and Reyes, are going to be, they're going to be hugely important because the the Cardinals are, are losing Miles Mc... Michaelis. Why is it not Michaelis? All right, Miles Michaelis. Know, you know, everyone's got me on my on my back on my heels now, dude. I'm <laughs> questioning every name that I say. Is it Enosaurus? You turned Jordan Romano into Giordano <laughs> Romano. I mean, you made him very Italian. He's probably Italian anyway, but you made him even more Italian. <laughs> added some some, some added some uh, some syllables. Um, no, okay. So uh, they're losing Miles Michaelis uh, to some period of time. And Carlos Martinez is sitting 90-91. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a problem. And so I think that it might make sense to start the season with both Gant and Ponce de Leon in the rotation. And Carlos Martinez and Alex Reyes as guys who come in for two or three innings on the back end of those starts. I'm starting to wonder if it's just kind of over for Carlos Martinez. Yeah. This is where this is where being on the YouTube channel is really important. He knows <laughs> he knows expression was worth a thousand words about how he feels about Carlos Martinez at this point. I am one hundred percent out. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but uh, I don't think he kept up with his arm care routines or something. But it's gone. Uh, you know, the movement's still okay, but he never had good command. So what, like, you know, what are you doing with ninety ninety one and no good, not good command? I have a theory about the 100 innings targets. I think that's code for we think this guy is going to start eventually because I think you'll you'll get 100 innings targets on guys like Reyes and Merriweather. You might get a target like that on Freddie Peralta. You might get a target like that on Spencer Howard or Nate Pearson or Michael Kopech. And I think the bulk of those guys are viewed as long-term starters, or at least they have the ability to become starters 
at some point this season, whether it's May, June, July, whenever that switch is actually going to flip, it might end up being more than 100 innings because of when that role change happens. But I think that's sort of their way of saying, we're going to wait and see. We're trying to monitor. And if we need a starter or we believe he's one of our best five starters, he's going into that role and the innings are going to be more than a typical reliever. But you're right. With Reyes and with all those guys, you can't bring them in three outs at a time for the first three months of the season, get to the beginning of July and say, you're going five now. You have to send the guy down in the case of guys that have options, stretch him out in the minors or tandem start or do something really funky that depletes your bullpen to get those pitchers where you want them to be. And it's probably not the best usage of those guys anyway. Yeah, and unfortunately for fantasy uh, side of things, I don't think that uh, they're gonna those types of pitchers are gonna have any value in the first half, and it's gonna be really hard to nurse them along if you have a short bench. I rostered a lot of these guys in the deep bench situation, um, or in a deep league where you can maybe throw a, a Merriweather for those innings and just get the innings and the strikeouts and hope that um, he has a bigger role in the second half, uh, but. In like a 15-team, like a TGFBI situation, I'm not sure that they're great pickups. I think they go back to the, you can have one. But they'll go back in the pools. I think they'll all be back in the pool. <laughs> a lot of those players will probably get dropped at some point, but I don't think you yeah. can really have more than one multi-inning reliever stashed away hoping to get a starter. And if you have other issues that come up, like injuries, it's the Which same issue. <laughs> it's the same issue as stashing the injured guys. It's the same issue as stashing players who are not in the big leagues. You, you've got one spot to burn for a little while. Do you want to burn it on someone who's going to top out in that 80 to 100 innings range? It's really tough skills-wise to justify that if part of the 80 to 100 plan doesn't include occasional save opportunities too. So... I would be careful with this group in in mixed leagues in particular, but I do, I really do like these players in draft and hold, and especially in mono leagues. These guys fit really well on AL and NL only staffs. Because their price is suppressed by poor projections because the most you can project them for is 100 innings, and then uh, people don't know what role to sort them in in their heads, so they're like, well, I'm not going to draft Julian Merriweather. Like Jason Collette picked up uh, Julian Merriweather in ALA, but I thought that was smart. Because nobody wants them as a, as a closer and nobody wants them as a starter. So you get them super cheap. But you get if you get 100 innings out of Julian Merriweather this year, I think they'll be good. Uh, and in that in that league, uh, innings are everything. But um, in in TGFPI situation, NFPC situation, you got a seven-man bench in a lot of those leagues. Um, I would rather spend uh, my one like big shot piece on hitting rather than pitching because not only are the bus rates different on hitting prospects, blah, blah, blah. But um, I just feel like uh, your pitching slots on your bench are going to be fluid, right? You're going to just be like, Ooh, two start week coming up. Ooh, this guy's injured. You got to drop him. And you're, and like your whole pitching staff is just going to be moving and moving. And so if you have this one pitching guy, they're just like, ah, Merriweather, if I just dropped him, that's a pitcher I can drop for another pitcher. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I'm going to do that. Uh, so what I did in TGFBI just now was Joe Adele uh, for my second or my third bench spot. And uh, he's going up in a piece that I think will go up tomorrow. Uh, might go up Friday that um uh that show you know joe adele had a um what was it top 15 max exit velo last year so that's enough for me to say it's in there 
any amount of unlocking. Also, the other, the second part of this is the right field situation is 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 projected to be below replacement in LA now, or right. Anaheim, whatever. So he sets his own um, timetable. So there's like an obvious opportunity. Exactly. If he st- if he gets it together, they're not going to tell you know the Dexter Fowler immediately becomes a fourth outfielder and they'll, and they'll be okay with that. Absolutely. Uh, I would put uh, Kelnick, Wander, Adele. They're all in that group. One of those guys is fine. You can't have multiples if you're talking about a mixed league with no IL spots because you and need Adele's going to be time. the cheapest by far. Yes, he, he will Adele's be the cheapest be the by cheapest. far. <laughs> Jonathan Hernandez has a UCL sprain. I was really bummed to see this one when Levi Weaver put it out there on Tuesday. No surgery for now, but this feels like surgery delayed. It does open the door back up for Jose Leclerc to possibly open the year as the Rangers closer, and there was a chance he was going to do that anyway. I guess the question I have coming off this news is, is there someone other than Leclerc that you're now interested in as a result of this injury for Hernandez, who I think kind of falls to the undraftable category for now, given that, you know, even though he could be throwing again in a month, it's going to be probably another month after that before we're actually getting quality innings from him. And there's a ton of risk and waiting for that, not knowing the opportunity. But is there a deep stash in Texas that you think could emerge to possibly take that job from Jose Leclerc? Or do you just bump up Leclerc? I think you bump up Leclerc for most leagues. Uh, an AL Labor Reserve, which is about the deepest you can get. I mean, you're talking about... 12 teams have selected all those players and I picked them in the fifth round of reserves. So we're talking, I mean, we're talking real deep. I took Matt Bush. So that's just a name to remember, I think at this point, but um, you know, if there's some buzz in camp uh, and you start hearing the name Matt Bush some more that then he moves ahead against Joel uh, ahead of like Jolie Rodriguez. um, And uh, all of a sudden Bush is the setup guy and Hernandez gets bad news. Yeah. He throws, he throws hard. (laughs) <laughs> Matt Bush, I didn't realize, but I know he's been around for a while. He's 35 already. Man, it would be kind of from the the Daniel Bard corner of the comeback player of the year, guy that really has been forgotten about. Bush has had all sorts of off-field issues, of course, but uh, it would be a nice ending to the story if he could have a really good year in that Texas bullpen. Uh, let's get to the Red Sox for just a moment. Do you have any any deep league interest in Nick Pavetta. He's looking like he's the favorite to open the year as the Red Sox fifth starter. Nick Pavetta has burned the fantasy community on multiple occasions. He is cheaper than ever, and it looks like he has a job. Should we throw a late dart in his direction at the end of drafts and auctions? He's got above average stuff, which is the the the, the first reason I ever you know touted him three, four years ago at this point. Um, but uh, over time, I think the command has has been obvious, that he's got near reliever level command. And um, now he's in a park that punishes... I mean, Philly, Philly's leans hitter, but I think... And then Fenway can actually... You can take advantage of it. Like, there are ways that it leans pitcher. Like, certainly, if you give up all your contact to right center... Um, it it would die out there. Uh, but I just I just see balls balls off the wall. That's what I see. Yeah, I have not been throwing that late dart. I have found other pitchers who <laughs> yeah. haven't disappointed us before that I can 
be disappointed in for the first time. So I, <laughs> I go, I go down that path instead. Why do it again when I can do it for the first time? <laughs> why, why not experience disappointment with someone new? Why, why do that for the third time? Is that, that should be a tagline for like Tinder or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't. I didn't make it to the dating site, dating app phase of life. Yeah, I was married prior to that happening, and I know for people who are out there trying to meet people that way, especially right now, it is not easy. Hang in there. <laughs> it's just that's a great tagline for for those apps, based on all the stories I've heard from people who have been using them. Jake is Jake. Jake Seely is is his his, his his he's he's willing to share. His dating life and it's uh, it's pretty hilarious. I feel Jake could him. write a book. Yeah, he could write a book about his experiences because uh, they have not been very pleasant to this point. Uh, last Red Sox thing: Xander Bogarts during an interview on WEEI in Boston said his shoulder is quote pretty close to one hundred percent. Which, if I translate pretty close into a number, I come up with ten to fifteen, which means he's at about eighty-five to ninety percent, which is. Good, not great. It's somewhere near where Kirby Yates is feeling right now. Uh, we could see Bogarts DHing in spring games over the weekend. So, are things progressing in a positive direction for you with Bogarts to the point where you are comfortable with him at his previous early round ADP, or are you still looking for a slight discount? Or are you saying, hey, he's great, but I'd rather not bring that injury risk onto my roster because the price is simply still too high? Yeah, I'm going to say I want that discount. Um, I think if he stole bases, I'd feel like there was a bit of a more of a soft landing. But there's a lot of his value is tied up into power. We got the ball deadening. You got a five percent drop across the league in homers likely coming. I'm not saying that he has the like kind of fringe power that gets really affected most, uh, but maybe a little bit comes from the shoulder and a little bit comes from the ball, and all of a sudden you're talking about like a 275 hitter with 20 homers. That's not what you want to pay for. So I think that's in the realm of possibilities still. And so I'd want a discount on him. So my thought on Bogarts, it kind of fits into some ideas that Ron Chandler wrote about on The Athletic. The piece went up on Wednesday. He was saying you need to have you know values and ADP kind of working side by side. And if your values are saying that someone who has a 10th round ADP is actually a first rounder, you have to figure out where that sweet spot is, where you're getting the player you want, but not overpaying. I think that mm. still kind of applies to to injuries too, because at a certain point, a, a guy falls enough, you say, this is actually pretty good value. I'm going to take that chance. I think the discount I'm looking for on Bogarts, he's got an ADP so far in March of 34.5. I think I That's need to see him so fall cool. like to 45 or 50 overall. Around. Just because there's so many other really good players clustered in that same area. That's yeah. where I'm at. So I'm probably missing out unless that scenario unfolds. It's possible that scenario unfolds. And if it does, then okay, I'll take the chance. Because I don't think it's that bad, but I do think it's the kind of thing that could linger, possibly lead to an early season IL stint, cost me a little bit of time, cause me to have to go to a waiver wire option or a bench option. And I'm losing a little bit of production in that shortstop spot from somebody I spent a third round pick on. And I don't don't think that's quite the way that I want to play it, given that I have plenty of alternatives. If if Donaldson's calf injury keeps him off the field, and that's a problem, there's also the type of injury where they're they can still be on the field, but they aren't hundred percent. And that's that I think is almost that's just so hard to gauge. I think honestly, I think that's part of Carlos Correa's history. 
I've had interviews with him about it and I've demonstrated it in his, as in his exit velocity before. Um, and he's, he's admitted that you can kind of use exit velocity to track his health. And so when I see like Carlos Correa have underwhelming seasons, I think he was dealing with something. It was that sex rib or whatever. <laughs> sex rib just sounds like a band name. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all over the place today. But, uh, we should probably just move on. <laughs> yep. There's there's no segue there. No, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to our central divisions, breakouts, and sleepers. And yes, we know sleepers might not really exist anymore, but we're going to try. We're going to try and talk about some players that no one else is talking about or writing about, or at least they're not talking and writing about them very often. Uh, Unfortunately, for the Chicago White Sox, I don't have a player like that. I have Andrew Vaughn on the rundown because... Like, and I'll admit this, he's probably the most captain obvious call of this entire episode for uh, the players we're talking about in this section. But Andrew Vaughn is a bat-first rookie who's got a spot to call his own in a good lineup in the American League. The threshold for him to keep that spot all season is pretty high. If he falls on his face, they could trade for a corner outfielder who's not a good defender and just make that guy a DH or bring in another first base type and make that guy a DH. But Vaughn should hit. I have a lot of reason to believe that Andrew Vaughn absolutely will hit. And unlike the other prospects that we talked about earlier, you know, the Wander, Kelnick, Adele group, Andrew Vaughn has playing time right away. So you're not waiting for him to get that opportunity. So you can have him on a roster with someone else you're stashing and still have that possibility of getting someone who really exceeds expectations, especially at what's a pretty reasonable price. I mean, if you look at where Vaughn is going in drafts right now, it's outside the top 200 overall more often than not, right? So you get past that point in any draft. It's kind of a what-could-go-right situation. And at 221 overall, I think you compare them to like Hunter Dozier and Ryan McMahon, it's kind of like the I'd rather see what's behind door number two situation than go with those more known quantities, even though I think Dozier and McMahon are, are fine roster fillers at that price. Vaughn could be more than that. Vaughn could be maybe this year's Alec Bohm. And if you look at where Bohm's going right now, that's a pretty nice profit at the current cost. Yeah, I've been watching his spring ABs, and I saw him at Cal. His father uh, broke my bat in BP uh, for that uh, that fun piece that I did where I raced Albert Pujols in the uh, in in stick in stick man form. Um, but uh, I, I've just been really impressed. I think he takes really good ABs. Um, and I don't think he's an all or nothing hitter. 
um, that will have a huge strikeout rate. We, uh, the one question I do have is if he's going to be like a 35 homer hitter. I think he might actually be more of a guy who has a decent batting average and 25 homers or, or you know, south of 30 kind of deal. Uh, but what I have seen in spring that I like is laying off of a lot of low and away breaking balls. Um, that's got to be step one, man. I mean, he's a right-hander. He's going to see a ton of right-handers. If he can lay off that that breaking ball away, um, then he's going to set himself up for a lot of success. So I, I like that. I also wanted to point out we got some bad news today on Joey Votto. Um, he's got COVID, um, and he's going to be out for a little bit. And hopefully he doesn't um, have it as bad as some of the other older players I've talked to where they weren't able to get 100% cardio for a month. Um, but um, what, long story short, what I would have, uh, would, what I like is the old young pairing at first base. So uh, Rowdy Telez and Andrew Vaughn represent the young for me um, and Brandon Belt and before Joey Votto, but you know, Crone's price is, is, is getting up there, but maybe Hosmer. There are old first basemen that are super cheap. And um, I've noticed that people are pushing corner infielders and first basemen higher than their projections in a lot of drafts. And I get it because they have nice numbers and, um, you know, people get excited and they say, oh, I need to get one of these top ones. But you can do an old young pairing where you end up with Vaughn and, um, and Belt. You know, or or uh, Vaughn and Crone, and uh, you might end up getting, you know, ninety percent of what they got for way way cheaper, um, and you could be filling in your infield and your outfield in the meantime. So uh, that's kind of where I've I've headed in a few leagues. Um, I had one league where I had Belt, Vado, and Telez. Now I have Vado on the DL. Yeah, I think with Vaughn, I mean, I'm looking at him as a clear-cut corner guy for year one, right? You're going to have a first baseman on the roster in most cases before that. And you, you are supposed to draft, I think, some coverage for corner and UT if you go a little younger like that. So I think you're right to point out those older players as, as really good ways to to have that depth. It, it could be someone at third base, I guess, maybe like a Kyle Seeger too, if, if the first base pool dries up. Yeah, I'm kind of assuming that uh, either you had two third basemen in the situation or something like that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, my belt, my belt, <laughs> my Votto belt, my Votto belt, my belt, my belt situation with, with Telez in there, that's all to cover first base. <laughs> I have, uh, I have other options at corner infield. So I thought this was a, a difficult depth chart to find truly yeah. overlooked players on. Like they've got good quality everywhere. Padres S. A little bit, yeah, and like a little less redundancy even than San Diego. So you can't even like take a three guys battling for shares Kim, of two yeah, spots. The they don't I have think the that. obvious one is Kopech. The other obvious, Captain Obvious one is Kopech or Cease, just as young pitchers that haven't taken that jump and could. And they obviously have all the velocity in the world. Both have poor command scores. And um, I would generally not want to invest a like I don't I wouldn't say go get cease in uh keeper and dynasty situations if if the person wants like a good price for them um I would I only want them if they're cheap um cease for four dollars in AL labor was cheap enough that I thought hey this is up there with a lot of other four dollar shots the, the, the ceiling is at least very high and he spent the whole offseason plus one thing I like about uh, Chicago is new pitching coach 
I always like uh, a new pitching coach with a with a pitcher that um, has been having some issues. So, you know, it's the best shape of life stuff where like, yes, every pitcher comes in. I cleaned up my mechanics. I'm more in my lower half. I'm uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah. My glutes, my whatever's my obliques, my yeah, I got it. I, I I've heard it a million times, uh, but you add in the new pitching coach, eh, you know, and the fact that you watch Cease and you're just like, dang, man, this guy throws 98 high in the zone. He's got a hammer of a breaking ball and a good change. Like th- this could come together all at the right time. He's got a little more to work with than Ronaldo Lopez ever did, right? <laughs> yeah, so right, if you yeah. if you had any faith in Ronaldo Lopez, you should have a little more faith in Dylan Cease because there are more ways for him to put pieces together, I think, with where he's starting from. I think when Lopez was trying to break in as a starter a few years ago, there were plenty of people out there saying he's probably a reliever, and they were just bad enough as a team or they could afford to give him chances to develop as a starter. Let's go over to Cleveland. Daniel Johnson is the player I like there. I think this qualifies as like a legitimate sort of sleeper. We're digging pretty deep, deep here. More for AL only, draft and Did hold. Did not get picked. Didn't get picked did in not, AL labor? Did not get picked in AL labor. Oh, I don't think Luis Renjifo did either. And um, I think if you are like our friend Nando Defino, still a believer in Franklin Barreto, I think you should shift that love in the direction of Luis Renjifo, as we mentioned uh, on the Monday episode. But Daniel Johnson, look, Cleveland is thin in the outfield. I think with Johnson, you have speed, you have a passable hit tool. I think he's a good enough defender to actually play in a corner. Because he gets on base, they could get away with him maybe being their right fielder. A lot hinges on what happens with Oscar Mercado. A lot hinges on how they decide to handle first base. If Josh Naylor's playing first base, that's really good news for Daniel Johnson. I would say in normal size mixed leagues, he's a wait-and-see, watchlist sort of player. right? You're not thinking about Daniel Johnson in a 12-team mixed league right now. In a 15-teamer, he's the kind of guy you could throw your absolute last pick at. Kind of wait and see what happens in these next few weeks. If he earns a job, he sticks. If he goes down or looks like a backup, cut him. Maybe come back to him when the opportunity opens up at some point later this season. But we did see him go 21 for 25 as a base dealer at AA back in the Nats system in 2018. Everywhere he's played in the minor leagues, he's been at least an average WRC plus guy, but really good at AAA in 2019. A 120 WRC plus there, a couple of 150s on the ledger, and a few stops as well. So I just I think there's a little bit more here than people realize, and he's never popped on top 100 lists. So I think that's part of why he's relatively obscure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a little bit lower, maybe. Uh, I did read Zach Meisel's. I was in the middle of the draft reading Zach Meisel's uh, roster projection for the Indians again, uh, trying to figure out why Daniel Johnson wasn't wasn't going to make it. Um, but I do think some of it hinges on. Uh, Jake Bowers, actually, if he makes the roster or not. Uh, Jake Bowers is out of options, so that's always uh, a consideration where maybe they like Daniel Johnson, but because he has an option, he goes back down. Jake Bowers, um, you know, instead uh, makes the roster, you know, flails a little bit, and then either gets traded or they try to sneak him back down to the minor leagues um, once people's 40-man rosters are more complete. I mean, there's all there's like the science of roster building that's um, kind of icky uh, in some ways, but uh, is a fact that there are players that will make rosters just because they have options. 
uh, or not make rosters because just because they have options. So I think there might be something like that going on with Daniel Johnson, uh, but uh, definitely one I would stash. And it isn't the easiest uh, roster there either uh, because, uh, frankly, uh, some of these players aren't any good. Um, and then on top of that, um, the ones that are fairly combed over, I think Andres Jimenez, um, you know, the, the draft cost is there. So you're kind of banking on him to beat Ahmed Rosario. And uh, there's a world in which Ahmed Rosario takes the center field job from Oscar Mercado. Um, or is the is a backup center fielder slash shortstop? Um, and so Rosario and Jimenez can both make this roster, I guess. Uh, I would say this: Jimenez's shortstop defense is better than Rosario's. Jimenez's speed, from a fantasy standpoint, Jimenez's speed is better than Rosario's. Rosario's pop is maybe slightly better, but Jimenez has added a leg kick and. Um, has a little bit of ceiling there when it comes to pop. So I think Jimenez wins that and could get you something like 10 homers, 15 stone bases, 275. Yeah, he's not cheap, though. Yeah, that's that's my one complaint with it, yeah. 164 overall in March. I mean, multi-position eligible, the speed that you mentioned, he's an efficient base dealer. I think if you're looking for value in Cleveland's middle infield, we talked about Ahmed Rosario on Under the Radar yesterday. Pick 347. I mean, that's uh, that's worth the dart. He's a good enough defender to play shortstop still if they do send Jimenez down. Clearly could play second base if something happens to Cesar Hernandez, and they have talked about that center field path. So at price, I like Rosario where he's going. I just wish they hadn't brought back Cesar Hernandez because we wouldn't have to worry at all about the playing time. Cesar is a good one. He's a good one. Overlooked? He's... Yeah, he, he's he's the oatmealiest oatmeal. I mean, dude uh, is a metronome. I mean, listen listen to his batting averages. 272, 294, 294, 253, 279, 283. One bad year. And the year that he hit 253, he had 15 homers and 19 stone bases. So, I mean, I think it's likely that he hits 279-ish uh, with like 12 homers and 8 stone bases next year. Six stolen bases. Yeah, that's possible. It's pretty boring. <laughs> it, it's, de- it's deep leagues again, though. It, it's 15-team yeah. mixed leagues and deeper, and you know, draft and hold where you just need playing time, AL only uh-huh. where you just need playing time. It, it's not enough of a ceiling where you could see him really being shallow mixed league relevant. So it, it's all about the league context, I think, in, in that case, too. I, I want to see what Josh Naylor does over a full season, too, by the way. I hope he plays first base. I hope they just send Jake Bowers to a team that's not trying to contend and then Bowers can maybe get some playing time there. I don't think Bowers is a regular in the big leagues. I think he's just more of a bench piece, but you know, we'll see if he sticks in Cleveland or not because you're right. They're going to probably try and sneak him through at some point when rosters are full around the league. Let's go to the Tigers. We had Cody Stavenhagen on Fantasy Baseball in 15 on Wednesday morning. Plenty of fun players to talk about there, of course. Casey Mize, Tarek Skubel, Matt Manning, Isaac Paredes, I think, is pretty interesting. He brought up Jose Cisnero for saves, right? Because our friend Joe Jimenez probably isn't the closer. He's at least in the competition, but he's failed enough times where I think it's time to say that ship has probably sailed. Uh, Cisnero, though... Five years ago was in Houston and wasn't very good. Now he's throwing 96 plus. It's fastball slider, occasional changeup. 
fix the walk rate problem a little bit in the shortened season. I mean, this is the kind of guy that comes out of nowhere and does rack up 20 saves for a, a non-contending team if he gets the job. And I think the thing that stuck with me that Cody said was A.J. Hinch is looking for one closer to give that spot to. He doesn't want to go as flexible committee-wise. So it's a name that I had not even thought about until Cody brought him up. And we're all scrambling for cheap saves. So Jose Cisnero, welcome to the bottom of the reliever oh, thank rankings. Thank you. I like that one. So I'm going to store that one in my back pocket. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's pop-up guys all the time. And, and they don't all have to be as bad as Cole Sulcer. But, um, you know, I, I think that... Um, this is a really fun team, and there are some ways to to win um, at fantasy with this team. Uh, Willie Castro was the name that I put down. Did you also put that down? No, I loved him a year ago. Uh, I'd still like mm. him now. I, you know, he was he was the kind of guy that I liked around this time last season, just because I I saw so many ways for him to find time, and he took that opportunity and, and played really well with it last season. Yeah, uh, he leads. Uh, he's the shortstop sleeper for me uh, in my sleeper breakout piece that's coming out uh, Thursday or Friday. And a uh, little tidbit from there, he's already hit a ball this spring harder than he did all last year. Only three players have been tracked with more 100-mile-per-hour batted balls this spring. Um, and I think that power is the last bit. I think without the without that extra power, he's going to hit 270 with 20 homers and 10 steals. And that's fine. That's actually playable in most leagues. But there is the chance that he's unlocking power. He showed a little bit of that last year. He showed some of us that spring. And if he's more 275 with 25 homers and 10 steals, uh, that that's the that's getting him over the hump and making him uh, kind of starting MI in almost any league, I think. Yeah. I still think there is possibly one more level there. And they actually have competition for position player spots. When you look at roster resource, you see a bunch of guys like Nico Goodrum and Harold Castro, guys that are projected for sub 300 OBPs. Those guys are on the way out. Like there could be a, a parade of DFAs this season from the Tigers, and they might be the kind of team that can find some possible bench upgrades from guys like Jake Bowers. But they've got. Isaac Paredes, Willie Castro, Jamer Candelario obviously had a nice kind of consolidation year last year. They've got Mazzara and Renato Nunez as two sort of former prospects that bring a lot of power, vying for spots. Like they are deep league, slowly getting better. Yeah, like, yeah, because they they may have fewer platoons than a lot of teams. They may actually find certain players that they just want to lock into that lineup every day. And that might make them a lot more valuable than some platoon guys on better teams who are being drafted ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something. One uh, caveat for hitters is that the the park plays weird and uh, robs some right center power. Um, and so I think it uh, it plays weird a little bit for righty oppo guys and lefty pull guys uh, to some extent. But uh, you've also had people with great power seasons there, uh, so it's not impossible. Um, watch Matt Boyd today, uh, perennial sleeper. Speaking of speaking of being burnt repeatedly, yeah, uh, hey, through a see, bunch of changeups. If you if you want to go down the Nick Pavetta trail again, Matthew Boyd's your guy. You've been <laughs> At burned least he's twice. in a better third park. Burn in. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> get the third burn. <laughs> but uh, he's also had a pitch mix change where he's throwing the changeup more often. He also has great K minus BB, so that's supposedly a powerful stat. 
Um, and if the homer, if the if the ball's like giving up fewer homers this year, he might be one of the people that benefits from it the most. I mean, he would be because I think you know somebody's asking me for strategy for, for with the new ball and pitchers, and I think that nailing down a pitcher's true talent home run rate is is way way hard and takes a lot of sample. And so I would say that you would you'd say pitchers across the board are more likely to just all lose 5% off of their home run rate. Whereas hitters, it'll be grouped where the uh, lesser power hitters lose more and the bigger power hitters lose less. Because if you're Giancarlo Stanton and you hit the ball 500 feet, take 5% off of that, it's still a moonshot. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, on the hitter, on the pitcher side, though, um, I could see the. And if you take five percent off everybody's home run rate, that means the guys who give up the most home runs are the guys who are going to benefit the most. So, <laughs> you heard it here, Matt Boyd. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, among the young guys, I think uh, we like uh, Scooble best. But I think Turnbull still represents uh, an upside play there uh, with all his pitches. Uh, the seam shifted wake uh, stuff that we've been figuring out about in this off season. Um, Mize still has great stuff and I think could put it together. So um, there's a lot of opportunity here for, for uh, fantasy. And I like teams like this. This is where uh, I go shopping a lot of times. Yeah, definitely take some shots in Detroit. You can kind of pick any part of the depth chart and find someone who's somewhat interesting at their deflated prices right now. And they're all, I mean, the young pitchers, especially think about how, how much more highly valued they could be as a group this time next year. They could all have a case for top 100 overall status. Like That's within their range of outcomes, so it's kind of fun to have a few shots at those guys as late as we can get them. With, with Michael Fulmer closing. <laughs> Maybe that's the way it all plays out. Yeah. Let's talk about the Royals for a minute, though. Andrew Benintendi is my pick here. It's a little more in that Captain Obvious Andrew Vaughn folder, but... He's not bad. His 2020 barely happened because of injuries. And in 2019, <laughs> I, I think you could look at Benintendi and say maybe he was trying to tweak too much. Like if he just stuck with what was working for him in, in 2017 and 2018, 15 to 20 homers with 20 steals and a good batting average plays everywhere. So I'm in on Andrew Benintendi. I think he bounces back. I think being in Kansas City versus those Boston lineups a few years ago, probably bring down the counting stats a little bit. But that Royals offense is better than we're accustomed to. So it's not nearly as much of a downgrade as it would have been two or three years ago had this happened. So I'm here for the Benintendi bounce back, you know. Yep, yep. I think 280, 15, 10 is within reach. Uh, that's playable in most leagues, especially uh, at least five outfielders in the 12th. 12 teamer i think and deeper so that's most leagues um I, i'm fading uh mondesi but i don't think he'll necessarily lose his job i'm fading nicky lopez pretty hard i just don't think he's uh, good enough at any one part of the game to uh to really uh put the roots down there and so um i have a deep league sleeper hanser alberto um and also michael taylor Michael Taylor is a barrel sleeper. He just hits the ball really hard and uh, plays good defense. So I think he could be the all-time center fielder there. And I think Hanser Alberto might just uh, steal second base away from Nicky Lopez over time. Yeah, Lopez could end up being more of a utility guy. I mean, I think he's good enough to play those other spots, even if he's not good enough to crack the lineup every day. He's probably the backup shortstop, which means, you know, you could just, yeah, just make him the utility guy pretty easy. 
but I'm not convinced he's ever really going to hit. So I'm, I'm with you and staying away from him. I actually thought Edward Olivares was kind of interesting as the center field dart throw, but Taylor has been sort of crowded out with the Nationals. And had he had a chance to play more any of these last few seasons, maybe we would have seen the big year from him. Uh, so I, I don't. I, I think either one of them works, but they're in similar situations. I don't know if they're immediately mixed league options. They're more wait and see options for me. Yeah, they were targets for me basically in labor. I wanted Taylor and Alberto, and I somehow, somehow didn't end up with them. Hmm. Yeah, hard to believe you missed there. But but to be, I can't. That's sad. I'm 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 touting Taylor here, and I think he's going to hit 220 with like you know 1515 type stats, or if he gets a full time job like 20 2015 type stuff. Uh, and Hanser Alberto, I'm touting him, and I think even if he gets the job, he's going to hit 280 with like eight homers. <laughs> so <laughs> this is some real deep league stuff here. Yeah, well, a lot of filler in in Kansas City where we're seeing value opportunities. Let's get to Luis Arias. I tweeted about him on Wednesday morning. Welcome to year three of me looking for more power from Luis Arias. Here's why I think it's possible. If you look at him, just look at his body. He's not tiny. Like he's short, but he's not thin. He's not the kind of guy that's getting the bat knocked out of his hands. One thing that I like that he does really well, he puts a lot of balls into the sweet spot percentage, right? The eight to 32 degree launch angle. So he's doing the right thing in terms of the type of fly balls he's hitting, he just has to hit all of those fly balls harder. He's been young for the level, controls the zone really well, actually draws a lot of walks, keeps the K rate down under 10%, and he can play all over the place. I see a David Fletcher sort of floor as their super utility guy. If Jorge Polanco struggles or if Josh Donaldson's calf is a problem and knocks him out for a stretch or some other injury takes him out, we're talking about a guy in Luis Arias who goes from three to four starts per week to maybe playing every day and possibly having a spot atop the lineup for Minnesota because of his high OBP, which drives runs. So you get average, you get runs, and you may actually get a little bit more power than we've seen to this point in his professional career. I think he's hit 10 home runs everywhere combined as a pro. I still think he can hit a dozen in a big league season as he continues to get stronger. Yeah, I think in shallower leagues, he's an ideal bench thing. I have him in, in my 12-team dynasty as like my bench. It's a head-to-head, so I have him as like my bench average piece, you know, where I can play him anywhere and try to keep my average afloat in a head-to-head competition. Um, I think in like TGFBI or whatever, uh, NFBC, I think he's a, a great guy to have on your bench just to cover a position for a while. I don't think I'd want him in my starting lineup in almost any situation other than maybe um, a, you know, ale only, uh, because I'm not so sure about the home runs and, um, you know, just batting average alone, uh, without the role, right? Like if he was going to be the starting second baseman, then I could say, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'll do it for the batting average, but, um, without the role, uh, I'd rather have him on my bench, but I think that's a, a decent pick and it's a decent pick on a team that, uh, isn't easy to sort of spot, uh, a sleeper on. This is an established team with established guys in all the roles. Um, I had circled Matt Shoemaker and Ryan Jeffers as uh, names that I thought um, couldn't be meaningful, but those are deep league uh, shots in the dark as well. Shoemaker, just hoping on him being healthy uh, and the velo holding from last year. And then Jeffers had a great barrel rate last year, and if 
Garver doesn't, um, you know, get it back, Jeffers could uh, steal more of the 60 instead of the 40 in that catcher timeshare. Yeah, I do like Ryan Jeffers, at least as a part-time player, but does have that path to take over the everyday job. 1A, 1B is very real behind the plate for the Twins with both Garver and Jeffers on that roster. Not everyone has a D-pass roster. Let me do, let me throw one. Barrios, man. Barrios is perennially underrated. If you get Barrios as your SB3, which is possible this year, according to some ADPs, um, I would love that. Uh, he's kind of an oatmeal-y starter. Uh, but I think even these oatmeal guys pop and have great years sometimes. So Varios is a, is a name for any league. He's my favorite kind of oatmeal. Someone sent us, uh, is it baked steel oats? There's, there's some kind of, you know, better yes, oatmeal. Yeah. I, I forget what it is. I got to look it up again. Cause I, it's oatmeal. I already forgot about it. It looked better than, uh, like a Quaker oats. But you can't well actually us on oatmeal because, yes, we admit there are much better breakfasts. That's the whole point of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is. <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Just to be clear, I was not laughing at the copy. I was laughing because uh, I'm a, a 10-year-old in my head and uh, a guy named Dingler uh, uh, grounded out for the Tigers. So, Dylan Dingler, the catching prospect from Ohio State? So. Hippo Vaughn uh, came up when I was searching for Andrew Vaughn earlier, by the way, and I wondered if Hippo Vaughn had as much of an interesting backstory as Oyster Burns. And uh, <laughs> it's a high bar to clear uh, based on his Wikipedia page. Stabbing a teammate. <laughs> yeah, Hippo Vaughn never stabbed any of his teammates, so a better teammate than Oyster Burns. And actually, it's a pretty good wars back in the day, a career 41.4 a war pitcher. So There you go. We're talking about a guy that pitched from 1908 to 1921. The game was uh, a little different back then, and oatmeal was a big deal during that era from, from what yeah, I'm told. Yeah, no, nobody struck anybody out, right? No, but that was the first time that someone had put raisins in oatmeal, so <laughs> people were freaking out at the time. Let's get to the NL Central. Uh, I'm still a believer in Nick Senzel. I think I made that clear at some point in the last couple of weeks. 
I would say Cincinnati doesn't have a ton of job battles. They punted shortstop. Good for them. So I think that creates an opportunity for you to talk about a a player that uh, you think could be a little bit overlooked. This is so deep, dude. This is so deep. I'm reaching. This is such a reach. D. Strange Gordon. Come on down, baby. Starting shortstop for the Reds. Wow. It's just insanity. Uh, But I have a 50-round draft and hold DC where um, you just... It's 15 teams, 50 rounds. You're you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And my last two middle infielders are Jose Garcia and D. Strange Gordon. And I just figured, like, between the two of those guys, I trust them more to be the shortstop this year than Kyle Farmer. And... um, as you said, they punted. I don't think either of those situations is great, but I'm rooting for D. Gordon because if he did get the job, at least he would steal some bases. That would help us uh, on the waiver wire at the bottom end of the pool. There'd be some steals available, at least until Jose Garcia is ready. I-, I think Jose Garcia finishes the year as their shortstop. Whether that happens May 1st, June 1st, July 1st, you know, when that happens is more of a, an open question that I, I don't feel like I have a, a great read on at this point, but uh, yeah, compared to Nick Senzel, who I think is literally draftable in maybe every type of league. <laughs> we, just, uh, we, just, yeah, we just described the, the entire breadth of fantasy baseball right there. Yep. Uh, how about how about Mr. TJ? Of course. TJ yeah. Antone. Going to be their hater this year. Right. So he fits into the 100 innings pitcher group, maybe from before. Chance he's going to start some. Chance he's going to relieve some. Maybe it's a multi inning relief role. Closer situations unsettled. I think it's Amir Garrett. But if it's not Amir Garrett, TJ Antone could do it. Sims has been hurt, though. Sims. It's true. We We have to see some Sims pitching. They strike me as a team that will go more committee. If you're kind of plotting out how progressive a team is with how it manages its pitching, I would say Cincinnati is on the more progressive end of that spectrum and be would be more open to the idea of three or four guys getting saves. Their player development crew is definitely seems to be on the forefront, but uh, Bell, <laughs> David Bell, know. not quite as far Maybe in that not. direction. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think he's miscast. AJ Hinch wants to anoint one closer. That's pretty amazing. Is that just the thing that they say because they're on a Zoom call or in a press conference and they get asked a question and they don't want to talk about it anymore and they don't want to reveal the specific plans? It's the worst part of closer divination, I think, is parsing uh, manager statements. Because how many times have you heard like, oh, he's our closer, and then a week later there's somebody else closing? (laughs) I really hope that when we're making videos of you making sandwiches in the future that the closer role has been just completely obliterated by then. And we have some other way to talk about relievers because it's really becoming a less fun part of this gig. Uh, Let's move on from Cincinnati. Let's go to Pittsburgh. Uh, I think this kind of fits into the same level of interest I described with Daniel Johnson, Jared Oliva. And I think he was on our radar last year. If the season were a full 162 in 2020, we would have seen more of Jared Oliva in Pittsburgh. I think he may have ended the year with a job in a full 162 last season. There's a good chance he's the starting left fielder in Pittsburgh on opening day. That's at least in the range of outcomes. I would say his path to playing time is probably a little clearer than Daniel Johnson's right now. And I think you can get similar production. I think you get a little bit of power. 
definitely some speed. Back-to-back 30 steal seasons in 18 and 19 at high A and double A, and pretty good OBP skills to go along with it. Yeah, I think this team may want to try and keep Anthony Alford um, in the big leagues just to see what they've got out of him. Uh, But he doesn't project well. He hasn't really uh, shown the ability to... um, harness the plate i mean you know for his career is a 4.5 percent walk rate and a 35.2 percent strikeout rate it's just i mean that's that's stretching the uh the 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 mind actually a little bit but uh um i don't think that alfred has that job so i you know reynolds is an interesting bat uh that's kind of oatmeal-y but i think he'll be a starter and i think he'll be their center fielder and i think yeah uh it won't take that long for it to be reynolds oliva uh, Polanco in the outfield with Alfred and maybe uh, Dustin Fowler uh, backing up um, because they've got a little bit of flexibility on the infield with Co- uh, with Newman and Tucker being able to play uh, multiple positions. Um, so I think that'll be their bench is one of Newman and Tucker, um, Fowler and Alfred, and then the the catcher. So I think that I think that's enough flexibility for them. But most of the sleepers for me lie on the pitching side. I've talked about JT Brubaker before, uh, multiple pitches and command. Chad Cool uh, actually has two pitches and could be a useful sort of four and a half inning guy, um, almost in the mold of a glass now as I see it. Um, if you if you hear about Cool adding a new pitch this spring, I think that would be meaningful. Um, and then um, my deep, deep league sleeper for this team is Mr. Cody Ponce, um, who has two good secondaries. And I've heard that the team has uh, some plans for his fastball. If he can change the shape of that fastball at all and get a little bit more ride, everything will pop. I'm, I, I like him for above average stuff, above average command as is. And I think he's the sixth starter there. Interesting. I, I like Miguel Yajure from that uh, cast of pitchers. I think we talked about him at the time when they acquired him from the Yankees. Young guy that has a pretty deep arsenal and command of that arsenal, too. The results in the minors have been pretty good. He was just so buried with the Yankees. that Rubaker-esque. Yeah, now he's got a shot. He's got a little more ceiling than some of the other guys on the depth chart just because of the difference in age. I mean, we're talking about someone who's 22, could be 23 in May. There's still more potential physical development there with velocity that I think would make him really interesting. But a deep enough arsenal that I think he's at least a back-end starter and not a guy that people have really talked a whole lot about to this point in draft season. Let's go to the Brewers, where I have a contractual obligation to mention (laughs) Freddy Peralta. Uh, I mean, look, it could happen. I, I think he's part of our role to be determined, but will likely be prominent. And in deeper What's leagues, especially that here? plays Woodruff, Woodruff, Lindblom, who Lindblom's interesting. Uh, Burns, Hauser is in it, and Brett Anderson if he's healthy. And then yep. sixth starter is Lauer and Peralta. I think Peralta's ahead of Lauer if there's an, a need in the rotation yeah. early. And Brett Anderson is a walking need in the rotation. Oh, God. I mean, it's just, it's so unfortunate. That guy's had a ton he of injuries. He hurts himself all the time. He's hurt, he all hurt himself time. on a sprinkler head one time. Uh, he hurt himself doing P- uh, P- PFP or whatever, pitcher fielding practice. He's hurt himself swinging a bat. I mean, he he went through the, the list with me one time, and it was just like, <laughs> wow, dude. Wow. 
I think he's got a pretty good sense of humor about the whole thing, having seen some yeah, of his no, tweets. He'll, he'll, but he'll admit it. Yeah, he'll admit it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of like their Wade Miley from a couple of years ago. If he's out there going four or five and just letting the bullpen rest a little bit, great. That works, I guess. But I think you have to look at Peralta and say, hey, it's probably multiple innings in the bullpen if he's stuck there, or it's actually taking over a spot in the rotation. I do think Lindblom makes some sense where he's going to, though, as a bounce back candidate. Yeah, and he, you know, he had good strikeout minus walk rates. Uh, he's been posting on social media like the different uh, changes that he's made to his fastball, trying to harness some more spin efficiency. Uh, a guy with a 12.4% uh, whiff rate is interesting to me right away. Um, and a lot of what he did was the home run, the Babbitt, but also his strand rate. I mean, that's just an old school uh, stat right there. He stranded 67% of his runners. That normally is like 71%, 72% across the league. So between all of his um, kind of luck stats scraping the ceiling there and, uh, you know, just look at it, the, the old school, like, what's his whip? 128. What's his ERA? 516. Those things don't go together. So something something there for me on Lindblom. I'm not sure what the ceiling is, but um, I do like him as a, as a pick. Uh, I have one here for this team that I, I, have, I have absolutely no <laughs> rationale for. I, okay. I've been, I was, I put him in my article tomorrow and my, it's paper thin and I hope nobody notices it, but Luis Urias, I like, I actually don't think there's a reason to like him. <laughs> like I was, I was looking at his bad ball stats. They're, they're bad. I mean, they're, they're, they're not like terrible, but like a career 3% barrel rate, the average around the league is four and a half percent. Max EV is not good. The hard hit rate is not good. Uh, there's just something to me that like, what if we gave this guy a full season, a full, and it's not even, he's not even healthy right now, but let's say we gave him a full healthy season. What would he look like? That's what I want to see. I think there's something there. Yeah. It's, it's more of an open question. I think he's been so young in, to this point, young for yeah, the level everywhere he's been. If like, you're tired of him, he's only 23. I don't think anyone's tired of him. Are they? Well, I heard this w- more with regards to Alex Reyes where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. We're still talking about Alex Reyes, but yeah, I mean, Alex Reyes is 26 and Luis Reyes is 23. There is a little bit of that where it's like, you know, how many, t- you know, how many times can you tell me about Luis Reyes? It's a little bit like Freddie Peralta. Yep. Well, that's why I had and bring them both up. You brought one of them up, but <laughs> uh, you don't have to twist my arm to get me to throw a late dart on, on Luis Reyes. Uh, let's go to the Cardinals. What about Tyler O'Neill? He's also oh, kind of in that we've talked about him a few times. It hasn't happened yet. I think with Tyler O'Neill, though, you can start to find some underlying numbers that make it easier to talk yourself into him. You see some interesting stat cast indicators that make you want to throw a late dart there. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I, I used uh, Captain Obvious Dylan Carlson in my in my uh, piece, and it was just obvious uh, if you look at his uh, reach rate over the season last year that Dylan Carlson was improving, but he has much more prospect pedigree. Um, and much less failure at the big league level than O'Neill has to date. Uh, but you, yeah, you just look at uh, walk and strikeout rates for O'Neill going from 4.9% walk rate to 9.6, going from a 40.1% K rate to 27.4. Um, you know, he lost some power along the way. So there is a fair choice maybe happening there where he's like, are you going to strike out a bunch or are you going to hit for power? Are you going to strike? Are you going to, are you going to not strike out a bunch or are you going to hit for power? Uh, so, but uh, if he puts it all together, tantalizing. He's one of the best athletes in baseball. Um, 
him and Sam Hilliard to me are, are, are peas in a pod where just tremendous athletes. Sam Hilliard is a top 10 sprint speed. And I think, uh, 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 O'Neill's is not as impressive, but it's up there. So you got these guys who can run real fast, uh, hit the ball a mile and have terrible plate skills. But, O'Neill has shown better advancement in those regards than Sam Hilliard. Yeah, O'Neill, if you look back through the minor league numbers, pretty efficient as a base dealer. He's always been good about drawing walks. The strikeout rates in the big leagues have been high, but they're not so high that you can't imagine things working out for him. I think he's... How could I say this? I think he's maybe capable of doing something like we've seen Teoscar Hernandez do. Like mm-hmm. as the time That's piles up, like it, it could be a kind of low average, not a great OBP, not as bad defense for the real life to get, to keep him on the field a little bit more. And, but maybe a little more speed. So I I I do want to believe in, in Tyler O'Neill one one last time because the price is as low as it'll probably ever be, and if it doesn't work out, you can cut him. But you think about how the playing time is going to work in that outfield. He might be the everyday left fielder, right? I mean, it could, it could be an O'Neill Bader Carlson outfield without a lot of pressure. I think the one guy that maybe eats into outfield playing time who doesn't play out there is Matt Carpenter. If Matt Carpenter's hitting enough to get Pushes on the field somewhere. Out there. But then, like, is Carpenter actually going to play second base at this stage of his career, or is he just a true bench player? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how much he can he can play second. Um, I see some sleepers emerging in the back end of that starting pitching um, situation. I think uh, the best place for Carlos Martinez is the bullpen. So as I said, uh, if Gant and Ponce de Leon are in that rotation, Gant has a starter's arsenal. Um, he doesn't have the starter's innings. So I would say both Gant and Ponce de Leon are really interesting guys to put on your bench at the early season as like early season streamers basically they're on your bench you're going to start them at home in st louis uh you're going to start them against weaker opponents while it's cold i don't necessarily consider them um guys that you would pick hoping to have get like 150 innings of good numbers out of they're not that kind of sleeper uh they're more like this is what i'm going to open my season with and then i'm going to drop them for a streamer or something else later Let's go to the Cubs. We will close out our central sleepers and breakouts with them. Kind of tricky to find someone. We talked a ton about Alec Mills. I think he's one of your guys based on a lot of the things that that really matter to you. So he could certainly just fill that spot based on all the previous conversations we've had. Second base is a weird spot for them, though. David Bodie, Nico Horner. I think because of Nico Horner's pedigree, I'm just assuming he's got a chance to win the job we still really haven't seen game power from him yet though and i don't think there's quite as much hit tool from horner as we've seen from someone like luis arias which makes me turn more to Bodie as the more interesting stat cast player as someone that might be better than we expect because he ends up with more playing time than we expect yeah i mean i do think that nico has a good uh has a good hit tool and there was some there there have been I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I'm I'm like looking and I'm like, you know, are you just about to say something about fifteen plate appearances in rookie ball? No, don't do it. <laughs> I say that I believe there's maybe a little bit of power there, but he hasn't shown it and his skill set almost uh seems best suited in that utility role. You know? Yeah. 
I think he can play some outfield. He can definitely play backup shortstop. He can play every infield position. Uh, also, he's a righty and Bodie's a righty, so there's not going to be a natural platoon situation. And Bodie is uh, a, a stat cast guy. I mean, he's he is like when I when I noticed him coming up to the big leagues, I asked somebody uh, with the with the Cubs, you know, how do you spot him? They're like EV. Uh, look at his max EVs: one fourteen, one thirteen, one eleven. Even last year, barrel rates ten uh, percent on over in two of his three years. Hard hit rates. Like I think they're gonna they might end up betting on him and just uh, using Nico where they can use him. Yeah, career 240, 338, 415. So that, that makes Bodie a bit of a sleeper. Yeah, Bodie, I, I think, has little power, yeah. little speed. You know, seven for eight is a base dealer now the last two seasons. So uh, I think he's probably a guy that comes away with more playing time than most people are, are projecting. I don't know where I'm drawing the immediate lines for him playing time-wise. Certainly not a 12-team mixed league guy from the jump. Maybe one of your last picks in a 15-teamer, though, to, to have that middle infield spot filled. He has to hit with the playing time. Like, it I think he deserves to be in the Josh Rojas, Luis Urias grouping of interesting guys who might might have multiple eligibilities that might be useful on your bench in a 15-teamer. You've summed it up perfectly. <laughs> uh, one last name, just Adbert Alzale. Uh, just, he's, a, he's a stuff play. If uh, Trevor Williams uh, can't get it together or if Alzale just outpitches them, there's a possibility uh, they break camp with Alzale uh, as the fifth starter. So I don't know. I don't know that I would push that past 50 percent and make it uh, I, I claim that it's a likelihood. Uh, and I've I've talked about Craig, Craig Kimbrell being um, uh, a guy I like as being cheaper than he should be. Uh, that's more of a, a you know a 12 team play or any team play. Uh, but uh, Kimbrell pops for me when I look at the step chart. Putting your name on Craig Kimbrell in this 2021 draft season. It's risky, but it could absolutely work. And if he's the guy, then 30 saves are easily within reach. He's my closer one in TGFBI. In fact, uh, those two closers in my TGFBI are uh, Craig Kimbrell and Jordan Hicks. Uh, It's high risk. I know it. I'm not going to tell you that it's not, but I like it. Could work. Lots of Ks, maybe bad ratios, but lots of Ks likely coming from those two guys, given the the stuff that they're bringing at this stage. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Lots of ways to connect with us on Twitter. He's at Unoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Uh, be sure to get a subscription to The Athletic if you don't have one already. Three ninety nine a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can email us. We're going to catch up on emails very soon. Rates and Barrels at theathletic.com. Be sure to check out Eno's piece that he collaborated on with Britt Giroli. Really good piece looking at how teams increase velocity or fail to increase velocity with their pitching over the years. So I think that's a really fun one to read. And of course, we've got updated rankings, lots of great fantasy baseball content dropping really each and every day at this time of the year. So be sure to check that out. So for Eno Saris, I am Derek Van Riper. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.